you so much for your word and for this day. We're grateful for another opportunity to learn what your spirit has for us. Help us to engage our minds and our hearts to what you have for us. Help us to be ready and uh, willing to um, be changed, uh, not by my words, but by the words that you have for us and by your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. The year was 1977. My freshman year of high school was, and my freshman year of high school was coming to a close. Little did I know, little did I know that something unprecedented was about to happen. Something amazing was about to happen. Something that would absolutely change the way people thought about good and evil. Okay, Star Wars came out in May of 1977, changed so much about how we think about going to movies, but this whole idea of good and evil, and the movie was called, I didn't even know it at the time, but it was Star Wars, A New Hope was the name of this movie. And let me, this is the brief description. I mean, I can't imagine that there's anybody here that has not seen that movie, but we will not, we will not single you out and shame you for missing one of the best, uh, you know, cultural events in the world. But here you go. Here it is. Here's the brief storyline of the movie. It says, the imperial forces under the cruel Darth Vader hold Princess Leia hostage in their efforts to quell rebellion against the galactic empire. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, captain of the Millennium Falcon, work together with the companionable droid duo R2-D2 R2-D2 and C-3PO to rescue the beautiful princess, help and re- help the Rebel Alliance and restore freedom and justice to the galaxy. I am pumped already. Just <laughs> with that music and that story, I still remember, this is side, I still remember, this was back in the day when there was not a lot of as many movie theaters as there were. I still remember, do anybody remember standing in line around the backs of movie theaters? I still remember going and seeing this movie multiple times and kind of being excited. That was part of the event was knowing that you're going to stand in line behind 400 or 500 other people. And I, and I remember it was a big event. And the movie did not disappoint at all. This, this hope that they were bringing, this rebel, that the rebels were bringing was such a great, this was so exciting. Now, this, 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 mo- this morning, we're going to be looking at... Um, well, let me back up. This movie was about finding hope. That was all about finding hope in really an unlikely source that would bring freedom and it, from this tyranny and this evil that was out there. Now, in today's passage, okay, that we, we're going to be looking at in, God, in Matthew's gospel, we're going to look at not this fictitious story. Yes, I'm sorry, nerds. It was a fictitious story of Star Wars. We're not going to be looking at that of this fictitious story of new hope and freedom from evil, but this real story, we're going to be looking at a real story of this new hope that actually brings freedom from evil and keep at the very thing that's keeping mankind ensnared in hopelessness, total hopelessness. This morning, this morning what we'll be looking at is really one of the most pivotal events in Christian, in Christian history that occurs right before Jesus is, uh, was abandoned by his disciples, left alone in the hands of his enemies when he was abused, and then tortured and ultimately killed. 
But before all that happens, before all that craziness happens, Jesus takes advantage really of these last few moments that he has with his disciples to really prepare them, to help them to understand what is coming, okay? So the first thing on your notes there, actually, we have, if you need one of those little pieces of paper, we're still doing that. And by the way, we're also going to be doing a little sharing and a little, um, uh, at the end of, once like we did last week, I want to get some of your input at the end of this. So the first thing that we're going to see here is Jesus was to, wanted to help his disciples to understand what was happening, what was happening, <laughs> sorry, them to understand what his impending death and sacrifice is all about. He wanted to understand. He didn't want to just leave them going, what was that? He wanted them to help understand what his death and sacrifice is all about. So let's start looking at it. Let's look starting with chapter 26. Let's first start with verses 17 to 19. All right, let's look at that. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you, uh, for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, remember, last week we talked a bit about this Passover. Remember, we talked about how it was a week-long celebration of the final plague during Israel's captivity with the, uh, in, in Egypt, and it's also a celebration of their exodus and their freedom out of slavery. Now, this first day of unleavened bread he's talking about, is this is a part of the Passover celebration, which along with eating this uh, celebration meal, with eating the Passover meal, it included eating this unleavened bread, which really symbolized their need to get out of Egypt quick, okay? You need to leave. The exodus is happening now. So this kind of symbolized that, helped them to remember that. So with time approaching, time's coming up for them to celebrate this uh, Passover meal, since they had no home base in Jerusalem. They really had no place to go to do it. What they decide, what Jesus says, he asked the disciples, ask him, where should we do this at? We don't have a home there. We don't have a house. We don't have a place rented. We forgot to Airbnb. So where do we go? To, where do you want us to go set this thing up? Um, so Jesus tells them this very interesting thing. He tells them that they're to go into the city where there's going to be a certain man, one who they probably think that Jesus probably had some previous contact with, and somehow the disciples would recognize him, somehow, okay? And that he tells them to say, listen, it's, my time has come. It's time. I, want, I need to celebrate, and I'm going to celebrate the Passover at your house. I don't understand how all that worked, but that's how it works. So the disciples do it. They say, okay, we'll go. And they go and they begin making preparations for the Passover meal. Now the scene turns a little bit here. The scene turns to the actual meal that takes place later that evening. And during that meal, here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see Jesus is going to make two very significant pronunciations or, or pronouncements. That's probably the better word, if I can pronounce it. Pronouncement. He's going he's to make two things that are going to be very significant. So let's look at the first pronouncement that he makes in verses 20 to 22. Look what he says. He says, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? 
So Jesus, remember, Jesus has already mentioned a couple times that we've already seen that that he will be handed over and betrayed to his adversaries. He's already told them this is going to happen. But now he makes a very big pronouncement. He says it's going to happen at the hands of one of them. It's one thing to hear Jesus to say, yeah, he's going to be handed over. They go, oh, that's a bummer. That's going to be rough. But now they're hearing it's going to be at the hands of one of them. And at hearing this, what it says, literally, they became very sad and very distressed at hearing this. I mean, can you imagine how this must have caught them completely off guard? They must have been thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. They're looking, probably looking around the table, one of us? We've been with you for three years. Really? Is that going to happen? They could probably thinking, how can that happen? So they begin to ask one another. They ask, asking one, thinking to themselves, and they ask Jesus, is it me? Jesus, is it me? Am, am, I, go, am I going to do that? Am I, can you imagine just one, or one by one going around saying, is it, is it me? Now, in these next couple verses, verses here, Jesus goes on to actually identify who it is going to be. All right, look what he says in the next couple verses here. He says, and he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes at his, as it is written of him. But woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It will have been better for that man if he had, been, if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I? Is it me? He said to him, and he says, You have said so. Now here's the interesting thing. Obviously throughout this meal, all of the disciples have dipped, their, dipped into the bowl. All of them have. So sometimes we think, we think Jesus said that, and all of a sudden we see Judas go, and we go, aha. No, what the reality is, they'd all been dipping their hands in the bowl, in the bread, with bread in the dish to get some stuff on the, uh, the bread. So what's going on here? What is Jesus actually trying to say here? Well, we don't know exactly for sure what he meant by all that, but there's a couple things that we can speculate, and it's going to be number two and number three on your thing there. One is that Jesus may have been giving Judas the opportunity to ponder what he was doing. It's almost like Jesus almost could have been saying here, Judas, are you sure this is what you want to do? And doesn't that sound like something that Jesus would do even? It's like, are you sure? All we've been through, are you sure this is what you want to do? Once again, that's speculation. It can also serve though to illustrate for us the depth of Jesus's suffering. You see, betrayal that will lead to humiliation, torture, and death at the hands of his own people. Can you imagine that? Must we, here's the deal. We must never forget that along with the physical suffering Jesus endured was the incredible emotional suffering that he went through for us. I think we'll always have that picture of the lashing, especially once we see things like the passion of the Christ, things like that. We think about, oh my gosh, what it must have been like. I think sometimes we forget the emotional side. We know that he took on the sins of the world, all that stuff, but betrayal. I mean, the ultimate betrayal of people that have pledged to be with you. Stuff. That's tough. We need to remember that's, that helps us to identify even more how horrendous it was that Jesus went for. What, so what, here it is. Whatever reason, we can reasonably assume that Judas had clearly been identified here, okay? Yet somehow without the other disciples knowing. 
Because if they would have known, I don't think they would have just sat there and let things keep going. But they do. So they let things go on, okay? So Jesus goes on to affirm here that, the, that what's going to happen to him is really part of God's plan, okay? That it's been predicted all along. This is number four. Jesus' betrayal and death are not the outcome of fate or of a corrupt political system. It's all in fulfillment of Scripture. Sometimes people approach what happened to Jesus and say, oh, why that had to happen? Or I wonder if that could have been done differently. If, was, it, was it because of the, the political atmosphere that things were going on? No. This is all stuff that had been in Scripture before. This had all been predicted by the prophets. There was no shock here. There was no surprise at all. This was part of the divine plan. Now, in saying that it would be, have been better for the betrayer if he had not been born, really what Jesus is describing here is really the worst fate possible. I mean, not having been born would have been a better fate for what this person is going to face for their rebellion. So whatever is going on with Judas like right now, I have no idea. But I'm sure it's not good. He just all out said No. He had, and as we're going to look, he really continued to stay with this, with, with this rebellion, okay? He still goes for it. He still go ahead and does it. Go ahead and, does it. and what, see, here's what makes Judas's guilt all the more powerful, that despite Jesus' warning, despite Jesus saying, it would be better for this person that they hadn't been born, Judas is hearing that. What does he do? He still goes through with it. He heard He knows what's coming. He knows there is going to be punishment. He knows there's going to be for that, but he still goes through it. And here, to show the depth of his hypocrisy, Judas, knowing that what he's going to do, he knows what he's going to do. The plan has been set in motion. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, hoping that Jesus doesn't know exactly who it is. Maybe he's thinking, well, maybe Jesus is, there's someone here going to do it, but it might, he's thinking it might be someone else. I don't know, Peter was pretty mouthy the other, the other day. Maybe he's thinking it was Peter because he's always mouthing off. That, that's probably who he thinks it's going to be. But even with all that, he has the gall to ask Jesus, is it me? I mean, just this shows where Judas's heart really was. To still say, uh, really? No. So that's, he was, he was f- so far down the line. So Jesus answers him in the affirmative. And uh, with that, really, Judas' fate is sealed by then. He has gone so, so far. It is sealed. So from there now, Matthew moves on to record Jesus' second pronouncement. The first pronouncement that there's someone is going to betray me. This is going to happen, and it's all part of God's plan. Something didn't slip through. This was all part of God's plan, okay? Now, the second one, what he does now is introduce this powerful new element to the tradition of this Passover meal. He's going to really mix things up, okay? He's going to give us some words and some actions that have become fundamental elements in Christian worship to this very day. It's what we call the Lord's Supper. I wish it was the first Sunday. Actually, I wish we took communion every week. That's a whole nother vote. But um, <laughs> that's my vote. Um, but um, so that, this is what's, what's this he's going to be doing now is instituting this, the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. Look at verses 26 to 28. Look what he says. 
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at this a little bit here. So as they're eating, Jesus takes this piece of bread. He says, it says that as he blesses it, or what, it, what that literally means is that he praises God for providing this bread. That's what he meant. He praises God for providing. So like when you want to say a blessing, when we say somebody bless the food, obviously we're not blessing the food. What we're saying is we're thanking God for the provision of that food. So that's what, so that's what he does here. He, t- he does that. And here's what's happened. What's you, he does something that's totally different than what's usually done at the Passover uh, meal here. He says, instead of the traditional ritual of explaining the meaning of that unleavened bread, which we usually would do, they would get that piece of unleavened bread and they would explain what that meant. But instead... Jesus now introduces a new level of symbolism. And this is number five in your notes. says, even though the Passover bread did not directly symbolize the killing of the lamb, Jesus takes the opportunity to identify the bread clearly symbol, identify the bread to his body clearly symbolizing his, his death. So he's making a, he's, he's adding to this whole thing. He's making it a whole different kind of thing. There's still Passover, still important. It's still important to celebrate the Passover, but let me tell you how it's going to change. I'm going to change it up here, okay? You remember in the gospel of John, Jesus tells the crowd that I am the what of life? The bread of life. Okay, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will no longer be hungry. So this is what Jesus is taking this imagery here, okay? And now just with the bread, just as he does with the bread, Jesus introduces this new symbolism with the wine, okay? Now traditionally, there would be praise to God for the creating of the fruit of the vine. I remember my first Seder dinner with you guys. That was the first time I'd ever heard that and read that about. That was a tradition, to thanking God for and praising God for the creating of the fruit of the vine. Yet what Jesus is doing now is he's identifying the wine to his own blood, Okay? This had to be, for us, it's no big deal. We hear this all the time. This had to be mind-blowing to them. So number six on your notes there says, so with the bread and the wine, what Jesus is doing is introducing a new interpretation of the Passover. You see, where it was the lamb's blood that was smeared on the doorpost that saved Israel, that's what showed that they, the part of his covenant, that they were with him. It will now be Jesus's blood shed that's going to provide salvation. Okay, so he's putting a whole new interpretation to this, okay? Notice Jesus mentions this thing covenant. We've heard this word a lot. Let's talk about this just a little bit. He mentions this thing called a covenant in verse 28. This is so important. I know this is going to be, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. There's a lot of teaching going on today, okay? Because we're going to talk a little bit about what this all means, and then we're going to kind of bring it all together later, okay? He says, where the, where he says that Jesus mentions the covenant, and this is vital to understand because number seven on your notes there, a covenant can be described as an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties, okay? An oath-bound relationship. Some examples. 
Uh, example of a human covenant. What one that comes to our mind right away, an example of a human covenant, is the marriage covenant. Okay, marriage covenant is between two people who vow to keep the oath they have made one another. I promise I will do this. I promise I will do that. Okay, that's kind of a human to human covenant. Now, examples of some divine covenants, I'm sure we can think of a handful of them, divine covenants between God and man. Remember there was Adam. You know, God made a covenant with Adam where he promised that, that um, where Adam would have everlasting life based on his obedience to God. There was Noah. Remember the covenant that God made with Noah that he would never destroy the earth again? Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, though th- that through him all the people of the earth would be blessed. Okay? Now, we're talking about the Mosaic covenant that was made between God and the Israelites here, right? Back in the book of Exodus, if you go back there, after there's a place where after receiving all the covenant and all this from um, Moses reads it all out to the people. He reads everything that um, God has uh, given to them. And they promise, okay, we promise to keep the entire law. After he does that, Moses does something very interesting. He takes blood. Here's that blood again. And he play, takes blood. Anybody know what he does with his blood? Must have been a very interesting scene. He sprinkles it on the people. He sprinkles the blood as a, like, kind of as a, as a way of affirming or as sealing this covenant with the people. God has made a promise with you. Okay? You've made a promise to him. This is sealing that. Number eight on your notes. Now, this covenant between God and his people, it played a vital role in showing Israel three things. It showed them first God's grace in revealing himself to them and declaring him his treasured possession. If you go back to Deuteronomy, that's what he calls them. Isn't that amazing to be called by God his treasured possession, the God of the universe? That's what God was de- in making this covenant, this Mosaic covenant. This is what he was declaring, okay? Second, what God was showing them is how they ought to live and how they ought to worship. If you live this way, if you worship this way, you will be fruitful, you will enjoy life. Now, as we know, the Israelites did not keep their end of the bargain for very long, did they? And life went completely sideways. But he still, God, still holds on to his covenant. God made a promise. He is not going to break that. And the third, it showed them their need for a Savior to provide freedom from guilt due to their sin, okay? Really, what the old covenant did is it it showed people that on their own, there was no possible way to be righteous before God and that no man could save himself. Interesting, this uh, uh, survey that Crew did a couple weeks ago, the, the college students we told you about last week came, it was interesting. Probably the number one reason that when we people said, how would you what was the question? Well, how would you define a Christian? Is that what it was? How would you define a Christian? By far, the number one answer was by being good, by living uh, a good life. That was by far the most. And doesn't that just go completely counter? We think, oh, that's nice. But that just goes absolutely counter to what God says it takes to be in a relationship with him. You could be, I mean, I know a lot of non-believers that are way nicer than a lot of believers, don't you? <laughs> That's not hard. 
That is not hard. Being a good person is not hard. There's some pretty rotten Christians out there and some pretty amazing non-believers. So obviously, that is not it. That is not it at all. That's what he's saying here. The old covenant was meant to show people you can't measure up. It's impossible. You can't be good enough. Remember, in order to make amends for their sin, also the people, what did they have to do in the Old Testament? They needed to make these regular, these regular animal sacrifices in order to show, yes, we're going to shed this blood to show that, yes, we are sorry for our sin and God would accept that. Yet the reality that we see also in the Old Testament is that no matter how much blood was shed or how much was sprinkled on anything, The people were never completely out from under the guilt and the bondage of their sin. And the writers of the New Testament even knew that. In Hebrews, the writer of of Hebrews said, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Can't. The guilt is still, there's still some, there's still guilt Okay, there's, and the, not only the guilt, being guilty, but feeling that guilt and that shame. So what Jesus is doing with the bread and the wine is establishing a new covenant for all those that would believe in him. No longer would the keeping of the law or making sacrifices be a requirement in order to be righteous before God. And that's this cool thing, this new covenant. This new covenant that Jesus is establishing is the promise. This should have been in the notes. This is a promise that God makes with humanity, that he will forgive sin and he will restore fellowship with those who turn their hearts towards him and place their trust in him. It's all about him. (laughs) It's all about what he does. It's all about what he has done. Isn't that the exact opposite of the answer that we're getting? Isn't that the exact opposite thought of the world? It's what I do. Even as Christians, don't we fall into that trap? I have to continue to be seen as worthy. I haven't read my Bible a long time. I'm a lame Christian. And we're forgetting it's not about our effort. Now, obviously, we put effort into a relationship but it doesn't earn us any more favor with God. That's what Jesus is doing here. This is an amazing thing. It is amazing. And that's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus atones or he makes amends for our sins. His blood rescues us from death and saves us from slavery to sin. That's the new covenant. That's what Jesus is doing here. Number nine in your notes. This means that the Lord's Supper or communion is a remembrance of what Christ did for us and a celebration of what we receive as a result of his sacrifice. We got to start taking communion more often. We do. Now, if that wasn't fantastic enough, if that news wasn't great enough, Jesus now in his last verse here, he focuses on the triumphant future that lays ahead for his disciples and for those who follow him. Look what he says in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, even though their earthly relationship was soon going to violently, I mean violently come to an end, Jesus is telling his disciples here that there's going to come a day when they are going to drink wine together. I can't imagine what that wine will be like. Amazing. 
that they're going to drink wine together again. And this time it's going to be at this joyous celebration of the fulfillment of God's purpose and his blessing for us. Isn't that amazing? Well, there's, there's amazing hope, isn't there? When life goes sideways, promise that he has made. We're going to drink wine together. We're going to hang out together. We are going to celebrate. We're going to party together because of what I am about to do. And what I'm doing here symbolizes that. Okay? So, number 10. The Lord's Supper or communion points not only back to what Jesus has done for us, but also forward to what we will experience in a never-ending, joyous celebration in the presence of our Savior. Now this is, dun, 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 dun. I mean, if that's your song, you're going to hear it, okay? <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be like. They say angels singing, whatever. For some of you, it's going to be this. I don't know. It's going it's to be this amazing celebration. And the hope This is the hope that we have in Christ right now. We have this hope knowing what he's already done and what is coming. Number 11, last one on your notes there. So what should our response be? What should our response be to the hope that is symbolized in the Lord's Supper? It should be nothing short of extreme gratitude. Nothing short of extreme gratitude. Gratitude for the amazing thing that Jesus has done for you, what he's done for me, what he's done for your neighbor, what he's done for your coworker, what he's done for everybody we come in contact with. And why? Because of love. Because of his incredible love for us. That should draw us to extreme gratitude. Now, a little, little interaction time. I want to hear from you guys or from us. Just a couple questions for you. Just to, I just want to hear how this, some response from you. Let me ask, first question is this. What might be some practical ways that we can show our extreme gratitude to the Lord for the hope he has given us by what he has done? Let me say that again. What might be some practical ways that you and I can show our extreme gratitude to the Lord for the hope that he has given us by what he has done. What do you think? Excellent. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Loving one another. That definitely shows gratitude for what Christ has done. Yeah, good one. What else? Yes, sharing this, sharing this incredible news with the people that don't know him. Yes, for sure. What else? Telling him. Yeah, Paul, exactly. Telling him. Let me throw that verse up there, David. Look at this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Yes, tell him. Tell him. Oh, but he knows. It's like saying, I don't tell my wife I love her anymore because she knows. Ludicrous, right? Absolutely ludicrous. So we share our faith. We love one another. And we tell him. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you can think of? 
How we can practically show our gratitude? Yeah, something that came to me was this, this whole idea of even just thanking God for the little things that we just take for granted, like a beautiful sunset. Lord, oh my gosh, God, thank you for that. I mean, I, I, I know that I'm new to this town, but I thank God all the time I get to live here. I, I mean, I was on a hike the other day. I went for, for, some of you know this, for my birthday on Thursday, my wife and I celebrated at Taco Bell on the beach, beautiful day, looking out over the ocean, servers, I just thought, Lord, banquet time. This is amazing. On a more personal note, I know in the past I've shared with you probably too much about my, my mental issues that I've struggled with, emotional issues, something like that. Oftentimes, all at the end of a day, oftentimes thank, I'll say thank you, Jesus, for mental health. I'll say thank you. Thank you I wasn't anxious today. See those little things that we do, does that not show gratitude for what Jesus has done? When we remember all these things, we share love with one another, we share Christ with one another, we tell him how amazing he is. Yeah, great. That's such good stuff. Other question. Let me ask you this. What impact can showing gratitude to Jesus have on us when life gets difficult? What do you think? What do you think the, the impact... Uh, that gratitude could have on us when we tell Jesus how grateful we are for him. Yeah, changes your outlook. How might it change your outlook on things? What are some ways it could change your outlook? Yeah, sure could help out with the fear factor, right? Yeah, definitely. What else? What impact can showing gratitude to Jesus have on us when life gets hard? Yeah, Mike? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, Carol. The more oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty soon you become on the lookout. Exactly, that's a great one, Michelle. You become on the, on the lookout for things to be grateful versus what? Focusing on what's, yeah, what's difficult. But it's a hard practice. Yeah, Paul. Puts the, uh, scale of the problem sure does. Yeah, Joey. Exactly. Yeah, good one. Yeah, for sure. Puts the, it really does put things in perspective, doesn't it? It reminds us that our hope is in Jesus and not in our circumstances, right? If only, and this is what I'm still working with with my young adult children, too. Some of my, well, it definitely was when they were teenagers. It's like they would say, if only then there would be joy or there'd be happy, things would be so much better. If only, really, the gratitude thing gets us out of the if onlys, doesn't it? Just like what you guys have just shared. Yeah, it totally does. It really, really does. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to really remember, next week we're gonna, we are going to take communion, okay? Next week, and I'm going to give some little reminders. We're going to talk about maybe this a little bit. But I want us to remember to do this next week. But what I really want to encourage us all to do this week is to take time to express your extreme gratitude to Jesus for who he is 
and what he has done. I told you, for some reason, I, someone maybe done it, and I, took up, I stole it from them. Because I have a reminder on my phone at 3 o'clock every day. A reminder comes up, praise Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Because I wouldn't do it. It's not because I'm so spiritual. It's because I'm so not. Because <laughs> I want that reminder. And it puts things, in, like you guys said, it puts things in such perspective. Thanks, you guys, for sharing that. That really encourages me. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you how it is so strong and it impacts our lives so much. And Jesus, we truly are grateful for what you've done. When we think back and we picture that room where the disciples were sitting with you and what you instituted for us, God, so powerful, so amazing. And all we can do is be grateful, God. And that gratitude shows itself in so many ways. Help us to show gratitude like people have shared this morning, to share you with other people, to love other people, to trust in you, to look for more opportunities to be grateful, to live on mission as you would have us, to put our difficult situations into perspective. Thank you that this can do that and that you do that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.